Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. In this episode, we met up with Catherine Wilson, who has established herself as New Zealand premier footwear designer. Tag along to hear her journey on how she made her childhood dream of becoming a shoe designer a reality, the hard work it has taken her to get there today, and what the future might hold. start with uh, introducing yourself. Tell us a bit about who you are and your background. I'm Catherine Wilson and I started a footwear brand named Catherine Wilson when I was 23 years old. And I think when I started, it wasn't that I um, always wanted my own business or my own brand. I just love shoes and I didn't have a word that meant enough to me to name the shoes after, so it became my name. (laughs) So 16 years in, I have a brand, Catherine Wilson Footwear, and we have three retail stores here in Auckland and supply around 80 wholesale stockists around New Zealand. Wow. And online. Yeah. So it came out of a love of shoes. And I often, you know, joke that I'm accidentally in business because all of a sudden you have staff and stores and production and logistics. And and really, it just all comes down to loving the product. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you figure out that you wanted to be a shoe designer? So I was like a super creative child in the 80s and my mother, um, I was the youngest of three girls and we would go to Power Rubber, which was a store in Papakura, to get some Commando M's and um, Kung Fu shoes. They're like little $6 shoes when we were young. (laughs) And then my sisters and I would have competitions um, who could, you know, make them the coolest and decorate them with fluffy paint pens or draw on them. um, But, I mean, that's just been you know silly kids but then I would go one step further cut the sides out turn them into slingbacks make them an open toe mum would be horrified they're brand new shoes but I think I just always loved the thought of um customizing things and I don't know if I was destined to be a shoe designer back then but I loved I was creative and and probably got good marks all the way through school in the art subjects and my mother um, was a primary school teacher and super optimistic super pie in the sky she still is and just nurtured me into a creative career I guess knowing that I was good at those subjects so you end up enjoying it more when you're good at them Um, so coming out of school I went into design school because you couldn't study shoes in New Zealand and I worked part-time at a shoe store under Biani shoes when I was 16 after school and for a couple of years it turned into a role there um so then all of a sudden I'm 16, 17, 18, really wanted to be a shoe designer. Yeah. And um, by the time I was 18, I went through AUT, like a, a course at Auckland, and somehow got top student there. Um, so I transferred to Wellington to a Bachelor of Design at Massey University, um, which in my second year did an exchange scholarship to England. And then I finally got to design and study shoes because um, in New Zealand within the course and the curriculum, the lecturers were amazing and that kind of where they could let me base an assignment on shoes instead of a little black dress, the class would do a history of, a, you know, and I would do a history of a stiletto or, you know, where they could, but it wasn't, definitely wasn't learning footwear. 
yeah. daily. So um, I was super excited to be 20 going off to England to learn shoes and packaging and marketing and trend prediction. And I came back at 21 just like desperate to be New Zealand's name in shoes. I was set on that being my career. Mm. Yeah. How do you find you just have a baby, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you find your balance between like work? Oh, and- well, I mean, there isn't really such a thing as that. Um, we've got a five month old and she's beautiful. We have a four and a half year old and she's um, pocket rocket. And so they just keep you super busy. But yeah. I think at the end of the day, I never wasn't, you know, like before children, mum would say, I don't know how you manage to use every single hour of the day. Like I'm just one of those people that love to be busy. Yeah. And I think just stimulated and excited and, and then adding children to the mix or in fact, adding a husband to the mix, you know, cause that's in a way you have to split your time and compromise and, and meet someone in the middle a little bit um so that was a learning of its own and then when we were married um we were fortunate to fall pregnant really quickly so all of a sudden we were like wow okay we're having a baby wow um yeah what are we gonna do (laughs) (laughs) and my husband has his own business as well and PR and events and so it was definitely um an awakening for us to have a small human dependent on us and it just changes our perspective I think we have an amazing nanny and she's been with us since Lola's three weeks old so now coming up five years she's been in our family and that I'd have to say is one of the um I mean we wouldn't have been able to do it without the help so I think early on a best friend said you have to learn to accept help in whatever way or shape that comes from, you know, whether it's your team here, my mother, um, Liam's mother, and definitely home help just to kind of not, not try and be everything to everyone. Yeah. And don't put that pressure on yourself that the mother's guilt, you know, it definitely is still there for sure. You can't, when you're in the office, you feel like you should be with them. And when you're with them, you're like, you know, checking your phone to be in the office. But at the end of the day, I don't know, I learned with Lola, it all goes, she's the older one. It goes so quickly. And I know everyone says that, but the baby stage goes so quickly. So now that Stella's definitely my last, I'm 39 now, so feeling really old, but I also just am conscious that I don't. In a way, this world can wait, you know, because I don't want to feel like I ever, um, with Lola, I, I didn't let her fall asleep on my chest or I didn't let her, um, you know, I wanted everything to be in a routine. So it was easy for me to step in with someone else. Whereas with Stella, I'm the opposite. I just like n- loving all the. <laughs> That's what it mummy feels moments. like. It's always like that. The first one, you want to have the routine, you want yeah. to make everything perfect. And then the next <laughs> one, it's like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Totally. And I think to that extent, I'm probably enjoying it a bit more because I'm not as worried that she will survive. Um, Yeah, so it is. It's busy. But I don't think there's such a thing as a balance. Um, We bought a beach house last year, February last year, and an hour and a half away on the Coromandel. And we've just been there this weekend. So I think that as a reminder, as soon as you're over the Bombay Hills for us, both of our, you know, my husband and I, our shoulders kind of go down. The children see a different side of you. We're much more available. Mm. And, um, yeah, whether that's just simple, it's the simplest things, baking and riding bikes and um, just, you know, literally hearing Normal the birds life. sing. Yeah. 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 And so that has taught us um, 
really quickly actually when we did that it's just like wow this is what life's all about and even this weekend when we went down and life's super busy and you know we've all got we've got a lot happening at the moment in the calendar just to force ourselves to leave the city at midday Friday and as soon as we got down there I just said to my husband you know let's definitely try and do this again next weekend knowing what the week ahead is like there's no way we can get down next weekend but let's try <laughs> Yeah, get something to look forward to. Yeah. yeah, and I think just making it happen. Yeah, it's never going to be easy. Yeah. So, what have some of the biggest challenges been for you being a business owner? Um, biggest challenges will probably be growth, and that's still. I mean, sixteen years, we're still in a growth phase. Um, and I guess it's the you're always busting. Like when it feels like a good idea and it's a gut feeling, it's a good idea. You really want to run with it. And then there's the accountants and the capital um, that needs to be there so that it doesn't make things stressful. So I think it's an, it's a balance thing, isn't it? Like without having um, – you don't necessarily need any cash in the kitty until you really want to jump and do something quickly. And I think businesses – in our business, it is quite reactive when you see a great opportunity and it's the perfect timing and it's the perfect retail space. You have to just sign it up now and get on – you know, so I think probably that – growth and being ready to move quickly and having the cash um you know available so that you can act on those decisions instead of I guess sometimes when you're hindered by um you know waiting until you can afford it it's a bit like in the personal life there's there's always the dream house when you don't have access to the (laughs) um and also I guess you know that whole role of having to invest in the business before you get that growth. So it's a scary time when you are um, outlaying a lot of capital, for example, and possibly the benefits might not be till a couple of years ahead. Um, and, I, and I think just learning those lessons on the go, like I'm 39 now, but when I started I was 23 with, with business partners that were – 50% shareholders and they were accountant background and, and amazing for me because they were the sensibility and the breaks and everything that I thought was, you know, like, let's do it. They always, it took a bit to convince Lloyd and Caroline and that was really good for me because if I, if I could convince them, it meant it was a really good idea. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I think the other thing, like as we're 16 years in is to try and remain super optimistic or super, you know, like dream, keep that dream alive and keep dreaming big and there's no reason to, I mean, in my life at the moment with two little ones, I actually love being home and I love um, being settled and I love our lifestyle that it provides. Um, But in saying that, I I feel conscious for the team to grow and be visionary and keep thinking big and take it to the next step because that's the journey they've all committed to, um, you know, choosing to to have their career with this business too. So how big is this team now? Uh, we have just under 20, including retail and head office, and that's a really nice number. It's yeah. lovely. I think there's still um, – it's tough when the culture shifts, when you go from – I mean, it used to be – Julia was my first full-time employee. She's still with us nine years in. And that um, in its own was a dynamic that we just finished each other's sentences. Um, and then having to grow in terms of management and bigger roles come in and then e-commerce supporting, um, you know, retail supporting roles – being having everyone on the same page and on, and then teaching that culture to your retail staff so that they pass on, mm. they are the front of the brand for the consumer and the customer. That's tricky because then, you know, you want everything to be just how it was nine years ago with two of us. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but obviously to have the growth, yeah, it's really important for everyone to have that same, the same values, the same culture, the same beliefs and, and try and make sure that's instilled across everyone. But I can't, I mean, that's 20 people, that's nothing. You know, I've got friends with businesses with thousands of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know how people do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So what, what have changed since you started out? Like you mentioned now some of the biggest challenges now, but what was the biggest challenges when you started out 16 years ago? Do you know, I think it was less because I was, yeah, I was 23 and I was naive and like beautifully naive. I just thought, why not? You know, like I think my mother brought me up to be like that as well. What's the worst that can happen? And I really wanted to be a shoe designer. It started out of like sampling some shoes that I thought were beautiful. And I never once thought that anyone else wouldn't like them. I think media asked me years, years later, um, what would you have done if the whole shoe thing didn't work? And I was like, what do you mean? Like I'd never given it a thought. <laughs> Because selfishly, I just, um, yeah, like I was a little bit naive to think it'll all be roses. So the challenges at the beginning, I mean, we've had, we're on the bottom of the world. We've had major logistics issues and um, everything from obviously freight delays of months, which affects your cash flow and and obviously your income um, because we're prepaying for stock before it's left the port in Italy and it might take it's meant to take, you know, two to three months, but sometimes like five to six months of it's transshipped or something's held, you know, and that's that's a lot for us to hold that stock in that time. Um, major issues with um, customs not releasing goods early on, maybe a couple of years in, I think I was 26, and a container wasn't released into New Zealand that was poss- possibly not fumigated to New Zealand standards, and so they clear it because it had been transshipped through Singapore and there was possibility that it had been exposed to such and such Um, and that meant that thousands of pairs of shoes had to be destroyed and I sat on the warehouse floor and cried (laughs) because in my mind my babies like they were so beautiful I still remember that shipment they were yellow canvas like little plimsoll sneakers and polka dot and really super cute um a little bit like baby from dirty dancing yeah and um they had to destroy every pair in case there was a uh, some bug at the time that was coming out of Italy so that was a big learning because we had to remake those shoes within 10 days air freight them down to New Zealand um obviously have the cash ready to, to front that and fund it and then six months later the insurance you mean like the shipping company didn't want to claim responsibility the logistics company didn't run a claim the factory had said like they left our manufacturer in perfect condition we're not paying for it you know so it was a really long drawn out insurance claim as well um so those lessons I think at the end of the day like I remember ringing mum and saying what had happened and and her take on it is, oh, dear, you'll work it out. Now, I was thinking maybe a lasagna for dinner if you want to come for the weekend. You know, like I think it puts things in perspective. Yeah. Um, for me, it was really scary. But having the guidance and help and mentorship from Caroline and Lloyd, they'd been in business um, 30 years, you know, they're an institution on their own in the knitwear fashion industry in New Zealand. So I think having them as the calm, you know, um, as as well that you could feel like you're not in it on your own and but I mean that could have folded us for sure and if I wasn't in a position with with the funding to be able to re-manufacture those things quickly that it could have been a different story yeah also we couldn't let any of our retailers find out because obviously it's negative both ways that the goods are going to be late plus there's a possibility that you know 
we didn't release them, but they could have been contaminated. And so that's a that's yeah, a no go. <laughs> <laughs> not yeah. good for the customer yeah. experience. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and this is back in I don't know two thousand and six or so. So a long time ago now, but still one of my biggest learnings in the in the business journey. Hmm. So starting a shoe brand might be some of the hardest thing you can do. Why, what got you to do that? Like, why did you decide to just go for shoes and nothing? Yeah. Like, <laughs> design anything? I mean, you do handbags, aren't you? Yeah, but we do bags. Yeah. We do beautiful bags. I just, it truly came out of a love of the product. I was just really, um, again, like pie in the sky, like thinking you know, why not? Mum always said, choose a job you love and you never work a day in your life. It sounds corny, but my older sister is super clever, um, double degree in IT and med- uh, science, you know, biology, medical. And she was like that, you know, take that box from mum, like super overachiever, amazing, super intelligent. Big sister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then my middle sister went on to have seven children and that again is a feat on its own um let's take the box for mum to have you know and so I think I was left to be a really you know like again choose a job you love um and I it never put me off that it was hard I remember coming back so I won an AMP scholarship when I was 22 when I came back to New Zealand for shoe design and we had to go around the table and all say what our dream was. And I remember when they announced the winners and I was, went to lunch and it was this fancy, you know, beautiful building in the city. And I went home to mum. I said, oh, mum, it was so embarrassing. There was like heart surgeons and he developed this technique to like save someone's life while their heart's still beating on the table. And then a pro tennis player and who was going off to the States to study. And then when it got my turn, I had to stand up and say, well, I love shoes. And, you know, and I want to be a shoe designer. And I'll never forget mum's said um well darling some people save lives and you're going to design shoes you know it's still really important and so I think I just always it was just truly a dream that I I didn't probably think about it in the sense of commerce or employee employment or like a career or a business I didn't really from the beginning didn't have that outlook I didn't necessarily always want to be a designer I just loved shoes and wanted to see if anyone else liked what I loved um, and then in saying that my first job out of university was a clothing design role um, for a knitwear company for Caroline and Lloyd. And so that was what I had been trained in. Um, you know, I'd spent four years designing or well, learning in a Bachelor of Design majoring in fashion, learning knitwear, learning um, pattern making, learning construction, sewing. So that came naturally to me and I went into that role loving it. But still shoes was something that I thought, one day imagine if I could get a job in shoes. And in the meantime, I'd put my hand out to all New Zealand manufacturers saying, who wants to hire me? You know, I'll do an apprenticeship. I love, um, I want to learn on the factory floor. And all the footwear manufacturers, um, I went to an AGM board meeting that uh, a woman invited me to who was the president. And I just said to all of them, like, I'll, I'll do anything for free. And they all just said, pick another career. It's all moving offshore, everything's shutting down, you know, really successful family businesses of 30 years had had finished manufacturing in New Zealand at that point. So I think telling a 21-year-old no as well was really good for me. Mm. It definitely spurred me on to be way more hungry, really wanted to prove everyone wrong. Like just because you say you can't doesn't mean you can't, you know, I was just, (laughs) I think it was good for me. Yeah. Um, but also I probably went into it knowing it wasn't going to be easy, knowing that there was no one else doing it. I don't know the reasons why, because it isn't, you know, it's tricky. 
But I also liked that. I liked the thought that it, it meant I would stand out. It meant that I had an advantage in the market. I felt like there was an opening for um, kind of innovative, unique footwear because that's what I had seen my mother wear in the 80s. And back in the day, the Perillo brothers and um, Andrebiani family were manufacturing here in New Zealand. They were doing one-offs, two-offs, three-offs, you know, beautiful multicolour rainbow shoes. And then um, by the time I was coming through, in 2000, 2001, everything was either much higher minimums, um, importing them in from overseas, stamping them with the, with brands, but just importing them from other manufacturers. And so there, I felt there was an opportunity for something way more innovative again, limited edition shoes, fun, playful, colourful. Um, and Marla, is, Marla was a, a family business as well out in Newland, and Jan, the... Um, sister had kind of taken over the brother's factory and so she let me borrow her technician or head pattern maker um during you know over a month or so and he helped me sample some of my first designs here in New Zealand I think that was an amazing eye for me because I'd studied shoes to an extent and I knew there were certain measurements you had to keep the foot the shoe on the foot you know, and walk. But that was a quick eye-opener to all these um, big ideas I had or all these thoughts. And then at, at the end of the day, so much of it comes down to comfort. Yeah. In, this, in the return customer, like in New Zealand market, we have such a loyal customer. And if I can promise them a shoe that feels amazing, of course I can make it look good because that's easy, but it's like getting that return customer. Yeah. It's nothing worse than walking in bad shoes. Like yeah. it just gives you pain. Like Yeah. yeah. So I think that's always been priority for me and, and that our customers, you know, 16 years in just always say um, that's truly why they do support and keep coming back is, is definitely the comfort factor. I mean, we have a lot of fun with our brand or, um, you know, designs are playful and colourful and, and make you feel good wearing them, but they definitely mean you can wear them from 8 a.m. till 11 p.m., you know. I think New Zealand women, we don't necessarily um, have drivers or we don't catch cabs as much as New York you know we'll probably the old Uber but we're in the same pair of heels as we left the house as we are getting home late at night um so we're quite sensible Mm. (laughs) yeah what do you think have been one of the key factors to your success um I would say optimism and probably not um not letting too much get you down. Like I think you always still have to remain in terms of being a leader too in the team. And I mean, I say that in a light sense because we've got a head office team of eight people. There's no hierarchy. Like none of us report to anyone and I want it that way. Um, I think they all own their department. They own their domain. Um, I always like to think that I will, you know, in terms of giving people ownership of their role, it's giving them the benefit of the doubt because they're here for their own to build their own career. And the time that I have them, I feel like I'm the lucky one to, for them to spend those years with me as a stepping stone to their dream career or whatever it might be. Um, so I think maybe to, there's a little bit of um, weight kind of in that, that I, I didn't have this big picture that I've been always striving to get to I'm quite open-minded about where the brand goes and um and that's good and bad because also I have an advisory board that are always saying what are we where are we going what is this that you want you know (laughs) how can we help you achieve it and I I think part of the success is that you don't put too much kind of end game around it 
or or just definitely enjoy the ride you know my mother my father died when I was young and my mother has always had that outlook that we're here for a good time you may as well enjoy life while we're you know a wonderful man Sir Ray Avery was acknowledged New Zealander of the year in 2011 he talks about being born with 30,000 days and that by the time I met him I was 30 or so and he challenged me on you know you've already lived 12,000 of your days, Kate, up. What are you going to do with the 18,000 you've got left? And it's without it being a morbid thought, it's kind of like a reminder that we may as well mm. be happy yeah. with whatever we're doing. And that's friendships, relationships, career, business. And so if, if whatever you're doing doesn't make you happy, then it's, you know, change tact pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a bit of value in that as well, in, in the sense that I've done things that feel right. Like a, and often, there's, you can see a shortcut that would probably make a lot more money quicker, but I have been so house proud with my name on the brand and my name on the box and my name on the show that I would, I'm always thinking about the longevity of the story of the brand to offer the team the best career, but also to keep the brand sitting where I think it should be. Um, so just a few things that, 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 I, that resonate with me personally, but I don't know if that has determined our success. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Talking about brand, what have been your marketing strategy? Uh, well, again, I've been really fortunate, I think, that I'm the demographic. Like, I've always designed the shoes based on what I want to wear next summer, mm-hmm. next winter. You know, like, Julia and I work on the design together, and that is still the way we, you know, we map it out that obviously it needs to cover certain bases and we need to make sure we offer that customer that wanted that last season something new. But that's a real privilege to be designing a product that we are actually the the demographic that we're designing for because often it's not the case. Um, so in terms of marketing, it comes hand in hand. You just I'm always thinking about myself. How would I like to be communicated to and what would annoy me? Because probably one of the biggest things with me with marketing is I don't like to be sold to. Mm. You're probably the same. Yeah, Everyone's the same. probably the same. Yeah. But I think our generation, if there's a billboard telling us to buy Coca-Cola, we'll go and buy water or you know we don't really like the thought of someone um feel a brand feeling like they can have that power over us plus I'm a early adopter like like I've discovered over the years I like to dis- to learn or discover brands myself and not be like to um you know I guess like um brainwashed with what people think are cool or what fashion should be or dictated trends or you know what the Kardashians are wearing I couldn't think of anything worse so a lot of our marketing comes around a genuine you know I I don't really like to show a model wearing a certain outfit that is of a certain age that um you know dictates who our customer should be I always think we're designing for a mindset like it's a woman that it could be in her 70s or she could be in her 20s, but she likes to have fun on her feet and she likes to feel empowered by wearing something that makes her feel good. And it's yeah, it's around the mindset or the confidence that the shoes give her. Yeah. So with our shows, our catwalk events are often really lighthearted, the music super playful, um, joyous. It should be happy. I mean, often at a fashion week setting or a fashion crowd, I think they are almost sometimes like, what is this that I'm watching? <laughs> because this year we opened with Mariah Carey and um, had a Sex in the City theme with a hot pink neon city skyline through the centre of the catwalk. Yeah. And um, all the girls with Beyonce wigs to their waist and customised 80s prom frocks. Like it's so me- It's so us that it's I... Like a show, well, yeah. and I want it yeah. to feel light and it should feel inclusive and the audience should feel like I can 
I could be part of that brand. And I think there's a time and a place for everything. And my, you know, all respect to the fashion brands that that really um, have a much more serious, somber show, so that the clothes can stand out. But I think where it's nice for us that because the clothing is not what we're showing, and the shoes are changed. We have 80 styles of shoes that come out in one of those shows over 18 minutes. So that's a lot for the audience to take in um but we just keep things really light and really fun and quick and fast moving and so I think with our marketing whether it's print or um or digital again we're just always thinking about who that customer is she's not we're not putting her in a box she could be an accountant or she could be a mum at home with toddlers um but hopefully our shoes are giving her confidence to take on the day whatever that means for her yeah and making her feel like she she's included in our market she's you know it's not, um, we never I'd go, you know, it would make me really upset for someone to feel like they weren't welcome in our store or, um, you know, we definitely train our staff to, to make the customer feel like they could try on every single shoe in the store and I would be happy with that because they've learned something, yeah. where, the, where the shoes are made, how they feel, what they're made of, and then it's cherry on top if they buy something. So have you ever thought about expanding overseas? Yeah, well, we have over the years. We've exported to Hong Kong um, to a department store there, IT, and that was cool. We had a friend on the ground that was a sales agent, and I think that's the only way to do it, really. Um, We have sold into Australia. We used to have maybe 42 stockists in Australia, and that was maybe five years ago. Things There was a shift with the GFC for sure that didn't hit. New Zealand as much as it did Australia but um, a lot of the independent fashion boutiques which we sell to rather than shoe stores um, were struggling and against the big monopolies of the department stores they're less and less of them now and the cool ones we want to be in don't pay their bills yeah (laughs) which is great Um, I mean we used to sell in LA and New York and they were buyers that would come over from a fashion week years ago um through New Zealand Training Enterprise. And I think as there are opportunities, it's fun to look into. We're at the moment looking at another export market, um, which they've come to us, and it's a department store in the Northern Hemisphere. So it's all fun for the brand. But at the end of the day, um, we've found like in the logistics model of unless it can come straight out of the manufacturer, whether that's Europe or Asia, for us, we used to bring things into New Zealand, redistribute them, and then wherever they're going. And, of course, we're paying double duty. It's messy. It's time-consuming. Yeah. Um, and so if you have a channel where on the ground up and whether that's Asia or Europe, there's someone working on your behalf, I think that's really my learnings is that you really need someone that is you on the ground. Yeah. Um, and also with e-commerce now, like we're reaching a global market for sure and – um, our international shipping is something like, I think, I don't know, DHL overnight to, well, definitely overnight to Australia, yeah. and we on charge $18 or something. Like it's a really affordable way to um, get your product all over the place. Yeah. Um, and that's exciting because sometimes, you know, there'll be like, you can kind of tell if there's an expat in England or London and it's going up with three or four pairs, and then the next week you'll get drip-fed orders of like two or three other customers going to the same building, and you're like, oh, that must, you know, funny because it'll be a corporate customer and then other women have come around the desk and said, what is this, you know? And that's lovely because I think that's, that's a really genuine word-of-mouth experience for a New Zealand brand to have offshore um but yeah I think without me being on a plane and now that I have the two children that's the last thing I want to do um I really love being I love focusing on our New Zealand market and just making sure we're house proud here 
That's great. Mm. So what do you do with a shoe that doesn't get sold? Um, all sorts. So if it's not sold in our retail stores, it goes into a sale. We do an annual sale each year with Juliet Hogan, and that's an off-site sale that um, our customers, you know, really look forward to because there's nothing wrong with the product at all. It's just previous season but in odd sizes. Um, and then we donate to um, there's a charity called Sweet Charity, which has a store, a retail store on the North Shore, and also an online outlet. Um, City Mission over there, we've given hundreds of pairs. Um, Share a pair is a, a charity, actually, they're really cool one in Palmerston North, and she's a young girl that shares shoe pair, shares pairs of shoes donated um, to schools. And initially we gave her all our trainers and things. And then she said, oh, the mums of these children that don't have shoes for school would also love the, you know, so at the oh, moment nice. we send down, um, and it could be like our shoe, um, the right shoe is a bit faded compared to the left because the right shoe was on display or things like that. We still, yeah. we donate out to things like chair repair. Um, over the years we've done lots of Dress for Success. We used to send hundreds of pairs to them because that was a program about, about getting women back into the workforce um, and dressing them for job interviews. Yeah, and right. I think a lot of what confidence comes from like having a really good pair of shoes on, it shows in your face yeah. and like your shoulders go back. And You know, I feel it's really important, well, I, for me anyway, I feel like it's really important for women to have good shoes. Yeah. And I and again, going back to Sir Ray, he grew up, he was an orphan and he grew up on the streets in England and he talks about um, having his first pair of shoes at 12 years old or, you know, and up till then he had like literally cardboard inside some shoes. He got hand-me-downs and they were t- like taped around and he remembers the feeling of how, how fancy he was to have his own pair of shoes that, you know, were um, gave him the confidence of, of feeling like he had a place in the world when he had his, you know, shoes. So it does remind me we're so fortunate in so many ways, but there's a lot of New Zealand for sure that are not the case and we, yeah, we it's important to me to pass mm. those on. So all sorts of avenues, yeah. And often there's another charity we work with, um, Blue Light out in Otara, and that's through one of our best customers and friends of the brand, uh, Lizzie Lucas from Sky City. She's super passionate about this charity, and she encourages, I think they do about 40 kids a year where they mentor them and, and get them possibly in, out of um, a tough, tricky family situation or how, you know, and then um, and nurture them into looking at careers or looking at opportunities and part of that they take them um, on a course and on the last day we um, provide 50 pairs of shoes or something they can go and choose their own pair and I think I know Trelise does it as well and that's so cool because apparently they just they like they cannot believe that they get to just go and help themselves to a pair and just choose you know anything they like Um, and that's the smallest gesture we can do it's yeah it's really, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, um, at human level is the whole point you're in business in the first place. So how do you think fashion is going to change in the next couple of years? Uh, well, there's already a massive shift around sustainability for sure, and I think we're way more conscious of that as a consumer, which is so awesome and important. I think New Zealanders, to be fair, since I've, well, I've studied in 2000, so this is going back 20 years nearly, that's always been something that we were encouraged to learn and be conscious of as a designer um you know where is the fabric made who's made the garments um what are the conditions of their ventilation and the lighting and you know there's New Zealand Australian standards for manufacturing offshore that we have to 
follow and that's 101 because we're good people. Um, but the next level of knowing what cotton, you know, cotton and wool mills and production are often worse for the environment than um, some other man-made fabrics and I think having that knowledge where you can um, talk to the customer like be way more transparent about where you sourced things and how they have been made and now there's like organic cottons that are readily available um eco dyed fabrics that are readily available things have been considered so much more now and as a consumer that does add value i think new zealanders we're quite good at that that we buy quality we like to own less but yeah um but buy things that last and and our shoes we've always encouraged people to repair and um you know, they can bring them back to us. We'll manage the process for them and send them off to Gimmels. But the idea is that obviously they should be keeping their shoes for 10 years. There's yeah. no reason why a pair of red heels shouldn't last 10 years yeah. or boots or whatever it is. Um, so there's a longevity piece with us, but definitely in terms of fashion in general, I, I'm glad to see. It's so important now. And then amazing pioneering designers, Maggie Marilyn, you know, New Zealand designer Maggie Hewitt. And she's so passionate and about this message that she um, makes it her, you know, core competency with her whole business is, is built around that. And that's great because I think in my generation it was secondary, but, you, you know, you kind of look into it or you do it, but you're you're definitely, um, it's not the first purpose of the business. Yeah. Um, and I also think now there's really lovely, I mean, I'm so proud of the next generation of business models that people are thinking you know business for better good as their first instant like for me we donate and that's great yeah. and I'm a Ronald McDonald House ambassador and I do all I can to raise awareness and funds but actually there's people starting businesses that the whole purpose is to give back and that just yeah. is so cool that business thank you is an Australian soap I think they started with hand soap and every time you bought one they gave a water well to Somewhere, you know, excuse me, I don't know, nothing about it. But I heard them speak at a conference in Fiji and I just thought, isn't that amazing that there's people like that out there? Like the Tom's footwear model um, where you give one back and eat my lunch. And So I think that is really exciting for where the industry could be going because at the end of the day that's the bigger picture. Yes, the environment, but also the people in the world. Yeah, it's cool when you can do something good like make a profit from it but also give back to the society yeah. or just don't make a profit pay yourself a salary yeah. but give all your profit away like that is, yeah exactly. or I just take my hat off to people that have thought of that as their business journey um and I think now there's more and more of it I found yeah. in the next generation I'm really excited to see how people are putting other people first at that human level yeah hmm. yeah that's cool where do you find your inspiration well, I guess travel at the end of the day because I'm away a lot. Um, whenever there's a quiet moment, like on a plane or watching movie, movie music, um, I love people watching. Like I love being on the streets of anywhere really, but Tokyo when you look at how people put outfits together. Yeah. Um, so cool. It could be on a train or, you know, I'm just – and lots of vintage stores. I love looking at past generations. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, my friends inspire me. Like I guess being – in New Zealand, there's not so many shoe designers, so the girls that have supported our brand and become friends or customers, or you know, they can be quite open and honest with me about what they're wanting and what they're looking for. So they, we literally do have muses of the brand that some people I will think of when I'm designing, and then I'll 
always um, make sure I'm offering something that oh, that that customer would love this. And, yeah. Um, so often a lot of inspiration, but I guess kind of guidance comes from knowing what makes people happy. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think selfishly, I just again we design what I want to wear myself. So yeah. <laughs> always, and there's always way too many ideas. People will often say, "How do you? I don't know how you do it. How do you come up with new ideas?" And I was like, "Oh, there's always hundred, like far too many drawings." And Julia and I design pencil on paper. Yeah. So everything's hand drawn, and we put them on the floor, and then there's just we have to cull, you know, twenty percent of them back because there's too many ideas. So if you uh, if someone would come to you and have an idea of anything, it doesn't have to be in fashion or shoes or anything. What would you tell them? Like, what advice would you give to them? Uh, well, yeah, my mother's advice was, why not? You know, like I think, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And then Ray Avery's advice is, do it, get on with it, start it now. Why Why are you waiting? You know, we've yeah. only got thirty thousand days. Yeah, he's a, he's a big um, advocate for get on with it and. Um, And I think maybe if you're taking risks that aren't um, necessarily pivotal to your life, like, you know, taking risks at a manageable scale so that if you do fall over, what's the worst thing that can happen? You're going to have a a hard learning or, you know, a quick, fast learning and then then pivot to the other direction and try something new. So I think also just probably – um, in terms of advice for me and someone starting out, it would be to surround yourself with people that make inspire you, people that make you happy or people that make you want to dream. Um, I have an amazing network of women and men, but women that I've put my hand up to and asked for advice over the years and become really good friends um, through that. Cecilia, mutual contact of yours, Cecilia Robinson being one of those that came about through me, you know, obviously looking up to her as a woman in business and thinking, my goodness, like you are an inspiration. And we've become such good friends through having a mutual appreciation of how you see the world. You know, like she's actually just an insanely generous, warm, caring human that happens to be good at business as well. (laughs) Um, Julie Christie, same, Dame Roseanne Mayo, so many people that have helped, not always helped, but just nurtured me or um, been a sounding board or, or inspired me to do more and do better. And because I sometimes feel like when you have friends doing awesome things and whoever it might be around you, it does spur you on to do more and be more awesome and, like, you know, shoot higher. And um, so probably uh, advice to someone starting out would be surround yourself with people that inspire you and make you happy and people that are cleverer than you are. (laughs) So you can learn. So you can learn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, What does leadership mean to you? Leadership, um, yeah, we touched on it earlier. I think for me it's about having no hierarchy. I like to think that people can use their own initiative and meet their own KPIs, et cetera. I'm not a big, I'm never going to be a micromanager. I'm not a big um, overseer because it soon becomes obvious when people drop the ball, they would feel responsible and and, and it becomes, yeah, their own um, weight that they bear if they're not hitting their own targets, et cetera. So leadership is probably leading from example and making sure that you're, um, there to support and help them grow so that they I you know I'm always aware probably in the this industry that it it is possibly a stepping stone the time they're with us Mm -hmm. and if I can help them build their amazing career 
through being part of our business for the time that they're here. You know, I always feel really lucky to have them for the time that they're here and then who knows what they might want to do going forward. Um, But I think also just being involved, like we are a small business, so we all know each other's pets' names and we all, um, you know, the women that have children in the business, they come first. And so when it's school holidays, that's, you know, it's a given that there's flexibility around that. And at a human level, like we are a small business, so it's absolutely okay to take a week off when your son's sick. You know, like it's actually um, all manageable. Yeah. And I think that... Yeah, the lead, in terms of leadership, it's probably just making sure that everyone feels supported mm. and, and that human level. Yeah. Um, and I think we're lucky to be the size we are so that everyone's, yeah, you know, there's, and even though we've got the glass door shut right now, it's never shut, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like people will always uh, feel like there's never a time where you can't say yeah. something or can't ask something. That's great. Sounds like a great environment. I hope so. Yeah. I know. We just we got told this week we've been nominated for Employer of the Year awards with the retail, New Zealand retail or something. And then I said to everyone, thank you so much. I was like, did someone nominate us from head office? And they're like, no, but that's awesome, amazing. And, then, <laughs> and I think, like, how cool is it? It must be one of the retail team. Yeah. And I, it's, it's probably, for, in my mind, the best award you could ever win because – they're not my friend. You know, like my friend might nominate me and that's really kind. Yeah. Or my mum. <laughs> yeah. But they're not my mum. They've, like, chosen to do that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm always really grateful of the people that do support us. How do you think we can get more women into leadership positions and not even starting businesses? Um, well, I think, yeah, I mean, it came from me out of a passion for the product and I hope that people whatever that might be, um, now I think I feel hopefully in the school environment kids have been nurtured um, towards doing something that they enjoy and they love. And I will always hope now Lola's going into primary school next year that she is nurtured into a career. She's super kooky and super creative. And at the moment she's um, she says that she wants to have a show where people pay money to go and see her sing and dance. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll see if that pans out. But <laughs> could have a little Katy Perry on our hands. Um, but I feel, I hope that that outlook on life is being more and more rewarded and encouraged. And I, I know already Lola's in um, Montessori kindergarten, which you'd assume is, is traditional around not being so creative thinking and not, you know, but I made sure when I researched it, it is, they have a complete, they've re-spun the Montessori wheel, you know, like everything's around learning and supporting them, but definitely creativity is a, is a very yeah. important key so how about in education. All those like barriers that kids have, you know, yeah. like just reaching for the handle is a barrier for a kid. Yes, and right. Just making it, yeah, yeah. And I think too, um, I once watched. I can't remember the guy's name, but a TED talk about how schools kill creativity. Oh yes, yeah. It's like one of the most watched okay. TED talks. Yeah, um, and that was an eye opener for me because it's. A lot of it rung true with my childhood, except for my mother that said, choose a job you love and you never work a day in your life. Because I think possibly my mother's generation, yes, they were told to to be a nurse, a teacher or, um, you know, dental, whatever it was. They weren't probably the world, their oyster, whereas now there's absolutely no reason Lola couldn't be a rocket scientist or a um, a car engineer, designer or build bridges or whatever, you know, like it's so cool 
But I think also sometimes apparently that puts even more pressure on mm, apparently. Does, yeah. <laughs> Get all those opportunities there, I don't know what to pick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think in terms of leadership, like there's been a lot of work done um, around diversity in my generation and probably the last 10, 15 years women have really shone in that leadership globally um, that it's a message now, isn't it? Like you, mm. there's absolutely, you know, it should be 50-50 in the boardroom. It should be CEOs of it, you know, and I think that didn't exist 10, 20 years ago. So I'm naive to think that it's all in our design industry and fashion industry it's very female led and it's um, all my mentors and muses and people I looked up to were female Um, but I also respect that in the legal industry you know accounting firms whatever it is big businesses and leadership that's taken a big fight to get to where we are today Mm -hmm. so I think hopefully in the sense of Lola being four now when she's 20 and going into work um, world that we shouldn't be talking about it anymore. It yeah. should be that they, it's a given, they can run the company if they're good at it. Or um, In leadership, yes, I think girls are going to be more and more encouraged to be outspoken and be brave. And from what I can see anyway, from my experience with Lola growing up in her kindergarten friends and, you know, the girls are, I, I see it as her being super sassy and super bossy. And I'm always trying to say, Lola, don't be so bossy. And then I watched um, on the plane home from Tokyo last week, a documentary about four-year-olds. I can't remember, you know, when it's yeah. day in the life of the four, and they monitor them in a school environment. Yeah. Um, it was done in Point Shev in a primary, in a kindergarten. And I was really relieved to see the people that were watching the classroom commentate and they said, now that can come across as being very bossy, but it actually showing early leadership. And once they learn the tools to, to um, communicate that better, they will possibly turn into really great leaders through that and um, being able to guide and um you know, encourage people around you. And, and whereas I'm just like, oh, how embarrassing. Like, you know, lower the pipe down. Don't tell everyone what to do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think there's something in that that it's great because no longer are we told to be quiet until you're spoken to at the table. Or, um, you know, I think it's parenting. We've all been taught um, to, to let your child talk and listen and stop and take the time to stop. And yeah. whereas possibly when our parents were growing up, they, it was more of a formal home life. And, exactly. yeah. you know, if dad was tired, you didn't annoy him. And yeah. um, my husband is so involved with the, I, I, far as I'm concerned, he's 50-50 parent yeah. and we're both busy and we're both, so with the nanny's help, you know, when Liam, Liam takes half a day off to spend with Lola. I take half a day off to spend with Stella. Like it's even mm. Stephen. And I feel like that time that they have with him is such a big part of their development in that how they see their dad interact with the world, you know. Mm. And that's fortunate um, because we're in a position we can both do that having our own business. And I understand a lot of families, whether the mums at work later or the dads at work later or whatever, mm. but it is so important, I think, that um, – yeah, you're both the yin and the yang, you know, the way they see their mum yeah. talk to other people and react with the world and then the way they see their dad. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to share. Yeah. Share the responsibility. Oh, and I, yeah, yeah, totally. And also I think um, there's so much value that's added by both. And, yeah, we're just lucky that if we can give, not necessarily mum and dad, but two parents or whatever it is, it's yeah. nice to have that yeah. for to encourage 
confidence and leadership in the way that we interact. Mm. What have been some of the proudest moments in your life? Proudest moment, proudest moment, like a, f- a warm, fuzzy moment was Beyonce getting a pair of it. <laughs> <laughs> because she is my like absolute um, girl crush and that she embodies empowerment and encourages women to succeed and she's a mum but she's humble and, you know. Um, so how did she end up? Well, she came down to New Zealand for a concert and it was her agency, Sony, um, had said there's no gifting, like no one, we don't want anything, she'll leave it in the hotel room, you know, and I was kind of thinking, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if we could just get our shoes in front of her? Um but I went to an after party of the concert with my husband who introduced me to a girl, Taryn, from Sony. And she said, over the room, you know, we can see her stylist. This guy, Ty, was there. And he I recognize him from, he worked with Beyonce for 20 years, Destiny's Child right through. And he has, like, this perm fringe, like, ever so cool guy. He's on the roller coaster with Beyonce in the EXO video, if you've yeah. seen it. Um, but when I saw him across the room, I was like, oh, this time, oh my God, like, you know, like it's like me meeting the queen. Um, and then I went over to Tara and said, did you want to meet him? I'm like, oh my God, yes. And I said, you know, like, oh, Beyonce is an inspiration to women all around the world. And she's so amazing in business. And I just, you know, and I had my photo with him and and I, you know, I told him what I did and Liam, my husband was like, babe, shut it down. You're going to embarrass yourself. Leave. But the next day, um, he had said to Taryn at Sony, uh, he'd remembered having a photo with me or what, you know, and he'd said, let's um, get some of her shoes. You know, she seemed like a great girl. Well done to her. Let's get some of her shoes today in front of Beyonce. And so I wrote, I'll never forget, I wrote on a postcard with a biro, like a big pen. It was horrible, like it blew because it was all I had wherever I was. Um, Dear Beyonce. Yeah have an amazing time in New Zealand, you know. And I just remember thinking I'm never going to write this again in my life and I'm writing it on a, you know, the cheap pen. Um, Anyway, and then I went on a family holiday to Rabatonga and my husband rang the next morning and said, I thought it was 5 a.m. and the phone rang and I thought something really terrible had happened. And then I answered it like, hi, what, you know, what's up? And he said, babe, you've got to get somebody near Wi-Fi. Beyonce's just put a photo of your shoes on Instagram to 88 million followers. And that was a real, no, I mean, it was proud moment, but also just absolute warm fuzzy because that is a really lovely feeling um, and that human level again that she loved them. Another one was meeting Jimmy Chu in Malaysia. I was judging a student competition and he was a patron of an event and they asked me to come up Um you know, to, just a New Zealand trade and enterprise. And I was like, yeah, I can probably make the dates work. I'm in Hong Kong the week before. Da, da, da. And they said, oh, Jimmy Dato, Professor Jimmy Chu is a patron and he'll be, and I was like, what are the dates? I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I make it work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it was amazing. I completely stuffed up with a blunder meeting him because I was so nervous. And when I was introduced with our foreign minister, Stephen Joyce at the time, and he said, oh, this is New Zealand's best shoe designer, you know. Catherine Wilson and he said yes I know I've seen your website congratulations it's beautiful and I said oh, I was so nervous to meet you I had a dream last night that I fell over in front of you and, I, and I, all these words came because <laughs> I'd overthought it so yeah. much about what I was going to say to Jimmy yeah. too. and then I thought instantly I was gutted and thought oh, like blown you know I've embarrassed myself and he just burst into this big smile and said but I would catch you and I thought that was so lovely that interaction again at that human level can come from someone you consider God you know Um, but that led to us inviting him down to New Zealand a year later with Remix Magazine to host an event we called the the love of shoe the love of footwear Mm. and um 
I put on this event at Sky City on the theatre stage with Remax and we built a big shoe chandelier with um, like a nine-metre circular rigging with hundreds of shoes of my shoes hanging off it, 10,000 metres of ribbon and hydrangeas and beautiful flowers. Um, But I'll never forget that moment, the opening speech that night with 300 beautiful people in cocktail dress and then Jimmy Choo in the room and and I said, Mum, Jimmy Choo's here. You know, can you believe it? Because I think I felt... It's such a, again, um, he was so humble and so kind and so warm and generous, and especially with his time. But for me, that's like an absolute honour to, to have invite him down. And he, when he said yes, we thought, oh, shit, what are we going to do with Jimmy G? <laughs> I think we never expected they'd say yes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Such a cool experience. Yeah. I just, yeah. And then he came to all of our stores, met all of our staff. Um, We spent a day out fishing on the Waitamata with Sky City on a beautiful boat. And it wasn't ideal because he's vegan and Buddhist. And so (laughs) we didn't fish, I think, once we found that out. But he just was so generous with his time and um, and so lovely, yeah. How would you define success? Success for me is being able to fund a lifestyle that means I can – spend time with people that I love so um it's all it comes down to is like seeing more of your friends that I don't see enough of um and being in a financially successful means I'm in a position where I can take the time away from the office to spend time with people that I love um and I think yeah, I'm, I'm not looking to grow to a point where I feel like that's it. I've nailed it. I'm yeah. now successful. <laughs> it's probably just um, a life and a lifestyle rather than yeah a that it provides. Numbers, yeah, yeah, and I think that's that having children has taught me that even more. But a lot of my twenties were spent um, missing out on engagement parties, missing out on weddings, missing out on birthdays, missing out on family occasions because I was always traveling and I was always away, you know, I was always Mm. at the office till midnight or whatever it might be. Um, So now that I'm 39, the next stage for me is definitely about the happiness I get from other people and making sure that I'm, you know, the friend that can be there when people need it. And, um, yeah, it's probably a nesting stage for me at my age that yeah. that's what's important to me. Yeah. But being able to have a walk or Pilates with a best friend, um, a long lunch with my mother, you know, that's success. Quality. The yeah. Quality time. Mm. Yeah. What advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I think just be brave. I think, um, I, you know, I had that advice from my mother and the like. So, And also just to break things down into um, – manageable size you know I, I remember being 18 sitting at the Manukau food hall with mum <laughs> crying because I wanted to be a shoe designer and I was like how am I going to do it what's it you know I know I want to do shoes and I just don't know what how I'm going to go about it and and mum I will never forget just said what's well what's it going to take let's st- let's think about this you know you can I can help you um I'll pay for your first year at university and let's see if you like it and, you know and then I think it's just breaking things down into smaller problems so yeah. that you can you can feel like you can tackle them yeah. um because at 20 the world it's so overwhelming isn't it like socially you're overwhelmed mm. um you there's a lot of pressure I mean I didn't we didn't even have social media now there's so many external pressures that you're tortured with yeah. <laughs> at 20 um socially and confidence and believing in yourself and and, yeah. and possibly even more apparently now expectation yeah. from parents and I'm careful with that with Lola because 
you know, my mother wanted us to do well in life, but she never said you have to be this or you should be successful, you you know. Whereas now I think with, I can see that we're so, um, you know, it's so important for us to give them the best that we can and to make them have the best life that they can when actually they kind of just want a simple Mm. They want um, a bedtime story and they want, you know. They want you to be there. Yeah. Totally, yeah. And um, my daughter said on the way home yesterday from Pauanui, um, Mummy, I like our beach house. I don't like our new, our new house as we moved a few months ago to this beautiful family home because we used to live in a small apartment that I had before I met my husband. And when we had Lola, it was manageable. It was two-bedroom. When we had yeah. Stella, it was like, okay, we have to move because it's tiny. But it was beautiful and I loved it and it was my home. But we've moved now. Now to like a grown-up house, double yeah. garage, you know, beautiful. And my, <laughs> my mind is like, oh, it's amazing having all the space. But Lola's saying, um, I love our beach house, mummy, because it, you know, makes me happy. And all that means for her, it's in terms of like, I think of our, our family house that we've really saved and worked really hard for. And my husband and I are like, wow, okay, we've got this house. We've really made it because it's beautiful. <laughs> she likes the 70s batch at Hawaii yeah. because um because we're, we're more available probably. Like we're probably there listening, baking, reading, um, you know, and I think that's just such a good reminder in life that all they want is you. Exactly. Um, and that's, simple, that's as simple as that. So 20-year-old yeah. self, yeah, um, work hard, play hard, and, yeah. yeah, be there for each other. And your 30-year-old self? Oh, um stop to smell the roses maybe like just slow down because I feel like that was an age where I started to get a bit resentful for missing out on a lot of things um and maybe just choose wisely like the the people you know you don't have a lot of time it's even worse now well not worse different now that I have children you don't have a lot of time so the time you have to spend choose wisely with how you who you do that with you know like bad relation not bad relationships lessons relationships that let you learn lessons you know move away from it quicker it's not making you happy just change tact and and it's amazing they say you know when you make one decision and a whole lot of other doors open it's so true like whether that's in business or friendships or relationships sometimes friends just suck a whole lot of energy out of you that you don't and you end up torturing yourself because you want to do the right thing by the people yeah but I think later in life I've realized sometimes um there are friendships that you come and go from and they, they you know you learn from them people are there for a reason you help them they help you 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 know learn from each other support each other and that doesn't have to be long term maybe or you know the ones that are long term obviously cherish and nurture but I think too there's a lot of my 30s I was trying to be everything to everyone Mm. and a people pleaser I'm a total people pleaser and then it was refreshing when I met my husband he's he's he is but he's not as much as me so he's like let it go like we can't be you've already said yes to that we can't be there as well um don't over promise everything babe and he'd be like you you've already said you know you're putting this pressure on yourself yeah and so yeah Maybe Chill just more. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was all the questions I had. Awesome. Yeah. Fun. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. <laughs> it was lovely. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Susan Axelson. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. 
so please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode, I met up with Christina Belize from Thank You Payroll. They are a social enterprise that has set up a trust which works with selected local communities to create a meaningful impact. We talked about how all businesses, small or large, have an opportunity to take a stand to create a better future for us all. Make sure to subscribe to not miss out.